Whole Foods Market has savings to power your day during the Kickstart the Season event. Take advantage of a huge sale on all supplements like vitamins, protein powders, probiotics, and more. There's a sale on all packaged coffee to get you back in the groove. Plus, find wallet-happy prices on breakfast like organic eggs and bacon from $3.65 by Whole Foods Market. And when the week gets busy, bring home a family meal and let the pros do the cooking. Kickstart fall at Whole Foods Market. Terms apply. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, unlicensed lunch therapist, Adam Roberts. If the sound sounds a little funny, it's because I'm using my computer microphone right now because my actual microphone is on a truck on its way to New York where I'm moving in two weeks. So sorry if the sound quality for this part is bad. The actual interview sounds good. And speaking of today's interview, my patient is Alex Young. He is a features writer at New York Magazine and Vulture, who's profiled everyone from Kumail Nanjani to Drew Barrymore, and he's now eating his way across New York City for the column, The Year I Ate New York. In today's session, we talk about the link between food and therapy. After the therapy sessions, I would feel like really drained and like that was, I would be ravenous, like so hungry. What it's like eating out at fancy restaurants every night. It's like my birthday anniversary and graduation all rolled up into one week and I'm just sort of like doing that constantly. And whether or not he worries about a restaurant's ethics. Any good thing that you enjoy and consume in America is probably fucked in some ways. All right, without further ado, here is my lunch therapy session with Alex Young. All right, Alex, well, it's so nice to meet you. I'm a big fan of your work, and I've got to say it's a little intimidating interviewing you because you are such a good interviewer. So uh, what are your secrets to doing a good interview? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't, I uh, I have what are my secrets to doing a good interview? I don't, I don't know. I try to, I try to vibe with someone, I guess, uh -huh. in some ways. Uh, I usually feel like I have a specific idea of like why I think someone is interesting. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. And I feel like, sorry, I like totally blanked a little bit. I like <laughs> uh, just, I like just did uh, like an interview right now and I'm like uh, trying to think about it. And I was like, did I do anything? Uh, <laughs> interesting or specific or I don't think so I think I just try to be like very present and curious uh I think it's yeah. like what you would normally do in any conversation that's interesting mm -hmm. um like in your life um but you just apply it to a maybe more famous person <laughs> <laughs> well reading your stuff it's interesting because I feel like you operate on two levels like you're interacting with the person as yourself but you're also sort of thinking of that person critically in some way or how they function in a larger narrative. Sure. So are you like, I just read Rachel Symes um, profile of Sarah Jessica Parker and then. Oh Yorker, yeah. And I yeah. thought that was really interesting because she sort of was commenting on Sarah Jessica Parker while also interacting with Sarah Jessica Parker totally. and, and revealing certain things that Sarah Jessica Parker may not have wanted to have been revealed in such a way, but at the same time, they weren't untrue. So I'm curious, like when you talk to a celebrity and you're writing one of your profiles, I guess how much of your instinct to want to be liked is at war with your instinct to want to be a good journalist? I guess I, I don't think I chronically need to be liked. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I think that really helps. I think that makes you a good interviewer. Yeah, I think I don't... Uh... Like, I, I guess I'm just thinking about like my general life. Like if someone mm -hmm. doesn't like me, I'm like, 
that's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> Good. I wish I know, could get there. <laughs> <laughs> I think like a, a person is well within their right to to not like someone. I, uh-huh. I think it's no moral failing uh, mm-hmm. for for someone to like or dislike someone. Um, although you know it is it can be tricky. I guess like when you're doing like a profile of someone, and if they don't like you, I guess that would uh, potentially make the job more difficult but also not really because then their dislike of you might be interesting to write about i think that's like the new like it's like new journalism with tom wolf like in the 70s and it's like i feel like the new new journalism is like sort of what's her taffy brodicker is that is that her name taffy brodicker Ackner, yeah yeah like her kind of stuff your kind of stuff just sort of like kind of inserting yourself into the narrative a little bit but at the same time revealing uh, a profile that's even deeper and more profound than otherwise. You know? Right. Because ideally their dislike of you um, or your perceived or or your perception of their dislike of you might be interesting or revealing about themselves. You know, it's yeah. just like how we re- reveal ourselves through our likes. And I think mm-hmm. that people generally try to build uh, uh, sort of personas around that. But I think it's much more interesting to talk about what you don't like, you know, yes. um, and, and actors are famously reluctant to do that. You know, no well, one wants a, to be perceived a, as shit talking. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, it's an, inter- it's an interesting segue into the reason I asked you on the podcast, uh, which is that you have recently been tapped to or not recently, I guess it's been a couple of months now uh, to be a food critic or to write about food in New York for this column for New York magazine called the year that I ate New York. Right. And what's in th- the parallel that I see is the truth telling of like going to a restaurant, having a meal and engaging in a friendly way and then going home and be like, that was the worst meal of my life. Or, uh-huh. you know? So like, how has that been for you in terms of shifting from writing profiles, which I know you still do, but uh, to writing about restaurants, do you have, are there parallels for you or does it feel completely different? Um, no, I think it's definitely squarely within the realm of culture, which mm-hmm. is a thing that I generally like to write and think about. Um, I think the thing that was really refreshing for me was the fact that it was a column and it's it's kind of a quasi-critic job, right? It's not a, a it's not pure criticism. I'm not quote unquote the restaurant critic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am eating around. I'm usually going to a place just one time um, and kind of doing a vibe check. You know, and I'm and I'm kind of like uh, I sort of see it as a slightly anthropological mission in some ways to see, you know, what what's the crowd like? What's the vibe like? Um, Are we having fun? Is the food good? You know, that that the way in which that I think a lot of New Yorkers um, who aren't food writers experience dining in the city, Mm -hmm. you know, which is like. Am I having a good time? Am I being taken care of? Um, By the way, if you ever start a podcast, I feel like it should be called Vibe Check because it kind of <laughs> applies to everything. <laughs> that's got to be a podcast. I'm no, sure. Because so? okay. I feel like it, that's that's kind of came up already a couple of times. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, like I, I've been a food blogger for almost 20 years. And when I used to write my food blog, you know, in New York, I lived in New York and I would write about restaurants in that way. Like I would go one time, I'd like, this place was, you know, weird. And, and I, and I got, there was a notorious post I did where I went with my family to Le Cirque and I wrote only a jerk would eat at Le Cirque and it kind of went viral and like Uh became this huge thing. It was on Grub Street. It was like, but you know, I eventually got to the point where I was like, oh wait, like there are ramifications for writing this stuff. And like, there are real people and real jobs and real, you know, that 
that it was that realization that it might feel fun and frivolous to just sort of write your thoughts into something about a restaurant, but that it's actually a little ecosystem um, that you are potentially disrupting or hurting. And so I'm curious if that sense of responsibility was something you had from the get-go or if it's something that's still slowly started to dawn on you or affect you as you've been continuing to do no, this No, I, th- I mean, I think that dynamic exists with, you know, like when you're writing about uh, TV shows too, like this mm. idea of like, um, is this a moment that's worth the criticism um, mm-hmm. and being harsh? Because I think it is important to be honest too. You right. know, like I think that we've also entered a really soft period of criticism where no one wants to say anything bad because um, people, you know, there are economics involved, but uh, those things shift, you know, and sometimes they're organized around really bad people or bad projects and all of that. And I think that it's important to talk about those things. Um, but that said, you know, like I, I think that I'm not going to write a, you know, damning thing about a mom and pop shop. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah. You know, like I think that's generally where my calibrations lie. Like I'm not, I've only written, I think like w- one, two one or one or two things that are like sort of like outright um critical i think that bad roman yeah which i you know which i wasn't really that hard on bad roman i think it was harder on like the uh like uh american bar and saint theo's and those restaurants specifically Uh um because i i thought they were really terrible and you you know they're like incredibly popular restaurants in the west village Mm -hmm. who i think are populated by people who would not care about this piece do you know what yes. i mean yeah, so like, totally yeah i guess i just felt like you know what it doesn't matter <laughs> uh-huh. like what i say does not matter here in that sense uh like i just don't feel like it'll it'll shift the like economics of of the space you well know? i mean like, it's interesting people who too. like it will like it uh, yeah i mean it, it makes me think about like what we bring to a restaurant and this sense of wanting to be um, seen, but also for our our own desire to recognize ourselves and the sort of people that are at the restaurant and, you know, the kind of places that we gravitate to and what what subcultures we might occupy in our own lives. And anyway, because I feel like, I I think, I don't know if it was on Eater recently, they talked about queer restaurants and like queer spaces Mm. and like a lot of Mm -hmm. those are popping up in New York. I don't know that many that have opened in LA, except actually our mutual, one of our mutual friends who I just mentioned went to a new lesbian wine bar Right. in Silver Lake that mm-hmm. um, got, he got in trouble for being there, for not being a lesbian. Um, so, you know, yeah. I feel like there's like, in, as you're, as you're talking and talking about, well, there's a where, TikToker who got mad at him. Oh yeah. That's what happened. Right. That's what happened. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think like, it's interesting, I guess, in this t- fractured time that we live in, how restaurants are sort of taking up on themselves like this sort of like becoming like the meeting pl- meeting places for different subsets of of our culture and you know and, and and I guess as a critic is it hard for you to fight your objectivity or to be objective when you are much more comfortable in one space versus another space like if you were reviewing like a republican steakhouse in on the upper east side would you go into it as yourself or would you go into it as somebody who was trying to objectively write about that place? Uh, I mean, I guess like I generally don't think about objectivity in a super strict sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, it, it, you know, it's important to be maybe fair and perceptive of where power is. 
mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, you know, I think that's the difference between going to, I don't know, let's say I was going to like one of the like Latino gay bars in Jackson Heights, okay, right, that are working class, more immigrant, brown, versus, you know, like Estatorio Milos, which is mm-hmm. like a right wing hotspot in Midtown. <laughs> really? You I know, didn't like, even know that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like it's like the the Fox News heads love that restaurant, you know? Oh, wow. And so if I'm writing about both of those spaces, like uh, power is always a part of each of them. And, and sort of my existence or my presence in them is always going to be what it is, right? Like mm-hmm. I will always be who I am and that will inevitably sort of dictate how I'm treated, how people talk to me, how I'm, how I interact with other people, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, it's, uh, you know, it's untrue to sort of claim that anyone can be sort of truly objective, right? I think, I think that's sort of what like straight white male critics uh, used to love to do or sort of think that they could do um, because their bodies were sort of neutral in that sense. but, you know, I, I recognize that my body is not neutral um, and it never has been. Um, and so to me, it's just more important to be attentive to that difference um, and sort of maybe write about how that difference is engaged with or not, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Alex, we've come to the moment that everyone's <laughs> been waiting for. Uh, can you tell us what did you have for lunch today? Sure. Um, it, it, uh, this will be ripe for psychoanalysis, or I think sort of easy psychoanalysis, I think. Right. But uh, I've been eating, uh, <laughs> I just like eat myokuk a lot, okay. um, which is like a Korean seaweed soup. Um, and it is like, not a thing you can usually find at a restaurant in the U, or at least in New York that I can really sort of find, you know, so I just make it at home. Um, okay. And yeah, it's like, you know, you make a stock and then you get some like meat, like beef stew, like chuck stew or whatever. And then uh, like a ton of seaweed. Really? Uh, and then I eat that. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very, it's it's very Korean in the sense of like, um, it's like a thing that um, you would usually, mothers would eat postpartum. So like after giving birth, it was like a soup that was meant to nourish and sort of stabilize the body. And so, you know, on your birthday, uh, you're supposed to eat uh, miyoko or like seaweed soup as a way to sort of like uh, remember what your mother did for you. <laughs> it's very filial. Wow, this yeah, is very yeah, yeah. Freudian. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Is, is it your birthday by any chance? No, it's not. I just, <laughs> I just making, making sure. Yeah. yeah, no, I just eat it uh, constantly now uh, since I've taken this job this year. Ah. Um, I, I my lunches are super. Um, simple and mm-hmm. are really aimed towards like nourishment and like rehabilitation <laughs> yeah i mean that's the obvious question that i forgot to ask you in our lead up to this which is and i want to get to your soup and your psychology but how sure. has this job taken a toll on your body whole foods market has savings to power your day during the kickstart the season event take advantage of a huge sale on all supplements like vitamins protein powders probiotics and more there's a sale on all packaged coffee to get you back in the groove. Plus, find wallet-happy prices on breakfast like organic eggs and bacon from 365 by Whole Foods Market. And when the week gets busy, bring home a family meal and let the pros do the cooking. Kickstart fall at Whole Foods Market. Terms apply. 
It's a horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Tell me more. (laughs) Well, you know, like people are like, oh, you're eating like a king. And then you're like, yeah, kings get gout. Yeah. You know, they do. Frank uh, Bruni got gout. Yeah. I think he wrote about it when he was the food critic. So, yeah. uh, Yeah. 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 It's, um, yeah, I mean, and I, I recognize that this is not like an interesting or fun thing for anyone who is not a food critic to hear like, oh, woe is me. But, mm-hmm. you know, I guess like it's like eating decadent meals six days a week. Yeah, I had know. Jeff Gordonier who uh, does the best restaurants for Esquire. Right. Um on my podcast and he I mean he was basically screaming about how how wretched <laughs> it is to his for his body to have done because he has to cram in like the whole country in a couple of weeks so he's like flying from like Miami to Texas to you know but for you I mean how do you go about it I mean are you going to like multiple restaurants a night are you ordering everything on the menu are you like what are you doing uh sometimes I try to keep it to one restaurant a night although sometimes I'm hopping around like I was uh at like I sort of did a tour of three different places with a group of friends um in the Lower East Side the other night uh but yeah you're just eating a lot and trying to taste everything um I think I think that's the tricky part about like it's like not a food critic job but Mm -hmm. it uh sometimes there is a desire for me to act as one right um not just from me like from my editor or the institution of the magazine um to to sort of like do a six month like check-in like okay here's the best like restaurants to go to and I like sort of really resisted doing a straight superlative list Mm -hmm. um because that sort of stuff like not being comprehensive makes me stressed out so -hmm. then I you know I tried to sort of hedge it by doing like here is my sort of like dream meal within this mm-hmm. sort of context of a new American uh, dining thing. So then I, I, that was sort of my way of hedging my bets of just not being like, this is the best of the year as right. much as these are just some things that I enjoyed eating. You know? I really like um, the column you wrote about um, like local restaurants or like the places you just go because they're in your neighborhood because totally. here in LA, my husband's favorite restaurant is Blair's in Silver Lake. I don't know if you've ever been there. I haven't. But it, but you should go next time you're here because it's it's like honestly like a little watering hole where you'll run into like, I'm sure you'll run into like friends and stuff and it's totally fine. Like it's not great but it's mm-hmm. so co- cozy there and comforting that we we just love going there and it's like and I love that you wrote about that for yourself like that's, that's just the places you like to go just to kind of totally. unwind and feel and relaxed. it was it was because I was like working on this profile of Drew Barrymore at this yes. at that time uh-huh. and I had to file a column and I was like I don't have time to go out to eat like every <laughs> night you know because Funny. it's also like you know you're like it's like you, you don't have time to like do a three-hour tasting menu when you're like yeah on deadline you know oh my god i can't even imagine um, I, mean, I can't imagine being full and not hungry for it and then sitting down to a tasting menu like right, is, right. which i imagine you're probably doing now at this point like yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well also i mean it's funny because anthony bourdain used to talk about getting food fucked at restaurants mm. and it, when like people would recognize him and start sending over free stuff and i'm curious mm-hmm. has that happened to you you yet like have no you had... no i'm not really so yeah <laughs> but, but your column is like in new york magazine on a regular basis and people yeah, can but, Google your image. I mean, I'm sure no. your picture's in the kitchen at some restaurants. I don't, nobody knows who I am. Um, I, really? well, now you're going to be on this podcast and it's going to be huge. <laughs> Hundreds of people are going to listen to this. I will also have my friends um, book the reservation. I don't think that 
that makes that much of a difference though to be honest like um yeah like I had a like I you know I sometimes I will email to get a table uh if it's like particularly hard to get one mm-hmm. um or like time reasons or whatever uh but that's sort of rare um mm. yeah Okay, let's go to your lunch and your psychology. Sure. So you said yourself, I'm going to mm. be like, we've been watching a lot of couples therapy on Showtime. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever watched it. I haven't. I, I it's wonderful. To it. And the the psychiatrist's uh, name is Orna. So we like to quote Orna a lot. So I'm going to be Orna right now okay. and say, why do you think you said that this lunch is um, particularly psychologically rich? Oh, um, yeah, it's so uh, obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it is well, obvious, but I want to yeah, hear it from you. It's like, yeah, I have to sure. Ask you. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I uh, a Korean soup or jjigae, which is like not, a, not really even a stew, I would say. You know, it's like very, it's a little thicker um, mm-hmm. or like, I think sometimes it's called a casserole, which is always a funny translation of it. Um, like those are very... Uh, psychologically and psychosomatically uh nourishing for me um psychosomatically so not yeah i think so that might not actually be nourishing no no i think they are like healthy like i do think uh the the you know a miracle is you know you're eating a bunch of seaweed like (laughs) there's no way that's not like healthy for you i'm sure (laughs) um uh no so i think it's like both healthy and it just like makes me feel uh more stabilized in my mm-hmm. body um as opposed to like the the thought of like going out to get like another you know restaurant meal where you don't really know exactly what goes in it like how much salt or fat or you know things that that do make you feel bad even though they might taste delicious and and I like like traditional hardcore korean food like that mm-hmm stuff tastes good to me and is healthful mm-hmm. um so that is that is what i do and there's a real like you know if you really want to go the the hard therapy let's do uh, it link um, yeah. like i i used to like see a therapist uh and her office was in k-town um and afterwards i would go to chodangol which is like on 35th street it's you know i think probably my favorite korean restaurant in the city even though there's like a current boom in Korean food in in New York right now but that one is is really like my standby and I would get this thing called kimchi biji which is like ground up soybeans essentially Mm -hmm. and it's kind of this like porridge with like kimchi and pork and it's just like so um bone satisfying Mm -hmm. you know like and after the therapy sessions I would feel like really drained and like Mm -hmm. that was I would be ravenous like so hungry And then I would just like go, I would beeline to the restaurant and it would be like I, an ideal time to go to that restaurant because it's also like so crowded now. Mm-hmm. So you you can go. So I think I would like probably go at like 3 p.m. or something and then just like get a bowl of that and it'd be like not crowded. I could get it immediately and be satisfied. And it was like, you know, that was that was it really hit the spot in that sense that's so. fascinating I, i've never actually thought about that with this podcast which i've been doing for years but like actually going to therapy and then the mm-hmm. food that you eat after or before because i used to go to a therapist in silver lake that was right next to um homestate which is like the tex-mex place uh-huh, uh-huh. and i would get like a little taco but then i would always get i would go afterwards to um go get him tiger which is a coffee uh-huh. shop and i would get their like turmeric like wellness <laughs> thing yeah that's how turmeric uh-huh. latte 
but it uh-huh. would be like healthy. It would be like kind of nourishing and, uh-huh. and, you know, make me feel good. And, and so, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, but one thing that you said, you, you could first... ask your guests that next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, um, when you first described the soup, you talked about it. You talked a lot about like mothers. Um, you talked about um, pregnant women um, drinking it at, or having it after they give birth. But I think, did you also say that your mother made this soup? Or oh, yeah. My mom, my mom, it's like, you know, in the rotation. Um, right. So she will make it better. And it's also like my parents are very uh, Korean hippie in some ways. Like they're super on the cutting edge of like, what is going to be popping off. I feel like, like they were super into like chia seeds, like decades ago. Do you know where what did, I mean? Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Florida. So I I don't. Wait, under- I grew up in Florida. Oh, wow. Where? Boca Raton. Oh, funny. I, I grew up in St. Petersburg. So okay. on the Gulf side. Yeah. I grew up on, in New York and then we moved to Boca when I was 11. So like okay. I was basically like a Seinfeld episode, like was my childhood. <laughs> uh, but St. Petersburg. So but Florida childhoods. Do you, do you go home and visit? often uh i go usually once a year so i usually go um around the holidays like uh like christmas to through new year because it's become much much harder to go visit florida in recent years with um yeah it's being what they are and yeah it's it's weird yeah yeah i i i don't know it's it's also weird because when i go home i don't like go out in the world very much like I just kind of hang out with my parents and like right. at home and the the only sort of extracurricular activity we have is like going to the grocery store. So. <laughs> That's nice. Is so, it yeah, were they were they from exciting. um where, did they grow up in Florida or where were they from? Originally? No, no, no. They they immigrated from Korea. Um okay. and they somehow ended up in Florida. Uh and I was born there and I sort of grew up there. Yeah. So what was it like growing up there? in a Korean family, um, were you, was it, were you part of a Korean community or did you go to school with, um, no, not Korean people? <laughs> yeah, no, it was, uh, I was in a mostly white environment, um, mm-hmm. in school, uh, and the Korean church that my mom would go to sometimes, uh, not even that frequently was in Tampa. So it was like, you know, a bit away. So I never really grew up around other Korean kids. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so there was definitely this kind of like divide uh, between home life and then, you know, at, at that point, really just school because I didn't, I didn't really get out much. <laughs> <laughs> and what what about the food of it all? I mean, did you go to school and eat white people food and then come home and eat Korean food? I mean, like, what, what, what how did that function for you? Yeah, I mean, I guess my mom packed my lunches because my 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 she but she definitely like would pack me, you know white people food essentially uh Mm -hmm. like but they were also like it was funny they were kind of like the envy of my classmates because they would be like these really large pastrami sandwiches you know (laughs) it was almost like like a cat situation you know happening (laughs) she was sending you to school with jewish food yeah right (laughs) (laughs) just to confuse things even further (laughs) um yeah so that's you know and then like some cut up fruit you know like honeydew or whatever Uh, it's so funny you say that but the pastrami because my jewish mother used to 
make me lunch and her way of making me lunch would be to go to the deli and buy me a sandwich to bring to school so like i would get to school the next day and i would have like a sandwich that was like bigger than my head and people would be like what is that i'd be like my mom got me this um so i we, totally we had similar lunches in florida yeah, totally yeah um that's so funny so was saint petersburg a good place to grow up i mean did you like growing up there or did you were could you not wait to get out oh no i could not wait to get out yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh uh uh, I uh, really identified with um, uh, Nicole Kidman as Virginia Woolf in the hours, you know, <laughs> and putting rot rocks in your pockets and walking into oh, the ocean. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was, I was ready to sort of walk into the Gulf. Um, okay. <laughs> I, you know, that that scene on the train station platform uh, where she's like screaming at her husband uh, about like why she wants to get out of the suburbs and to London. Okay, and she's like, I'm dying in this town. And she screams it. It's like such an iconic scene. I, anyway, whatever. That is how I felt essentially mm -hmm. emotionally. Um, so yeah, no, I it was kind of uh, like, you know, New York existed in this sort of rarefied, uh, you know, I, idealized TV way, you know, like, because mm -hmm. the way that I knew the city was through television, like Sex and the City, Will and sure. Grace, uh, things like that. And so that is the idea that I had about the city of like this place of total liberation and freedom and sort of being able to be uh, out and about and unencumbered. Um, but did you so go directly I, I, there from yes, Florida? Yes. So I, I went to college in New York. Sorry, I guess I shouldn't assume <laughs> that anyone would know that. Yeah. Uh, I Yeah. I went to uh, Columbia in New York. Okay. So I, you know, I, I was... I really wanted to leave. And my parents obviously like uh, value the prestige of education. Um, sure. So uh, they didn't want me to be uh, at school and or going to college in Florida either. So we were aligned in that sense, you know. It's of... funny because my parents did the prepaid Florida um, college program where you basically like put some money in throughout, you know, the years, and then you would basically college would be covered if I had gone to the University of Florida. Mm. And so when it got to that point, I was like, sorry, mom and dad, but there is no way I am going to college here. You know, I could not wait to get out. So yeah. I'm so grateful that I was able to um, go. I went to Emory in Atlanta. So, oh, okay. Got yeah. It. Cool. So I got to go to Atlanta, which wasn't that far away, but at least it wasn't UF. Um, right. Right. So I totally get this. So when you got to New York and you were at Columbia, did you study journalism or were you studying something else? No, I studied uh, anthropology. Oh, well, there you go. You talked about anthropology of restaurants. So totally. Does that really apply? Like what you studied in school? Do you use that when you're in restaurants? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a real, you know, dime store quality to it. But you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, uh, I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I love cultural, like sociocultural anthro. Um, I, I, you know, I love reading uh, like Barth's mythologies, you know, mm -hmm. where he had a newspaper column back in the day and he like wrote about semiotics of various things, whether it was, you know, wrestling or why French people love wine and what it mm -hmm. says about the national character and uh, all of that. So I think like when I got the opportunity to do this column that's that was very much in my mind of like you know writing about the food but also writing about scenes and social mm -hmm. strata and what it uh what this how this restaurant occupies the the kind of social imagination you know and like what does yes. it do for people how do we feel when we're there 
Um, is it a sense of power? Is it a sense of exclusivity? Is it a sense of inclusivity? Mm -hmm. Um, all of those things, you know, I think that when we're dining out, we're doing much more than just eating food. You know, we're doing much more than just trying to nourish our bodies. We're trying to like be a part of something usually. Um, and I think that that dynamic is really interesting. And so that's kind of what was in my mind when I, uh, wanted to do the column and pitched it. Well, it's so funny because it's like that's a real skill set to be able to walk into a restaurant and pick up on the the culture of the room beyond just the, the food and the, the way the decor. It's like, who are these people that are eating here and why are they here? And, you know, it's funny because I know you wrote about Estella, I think, in one of your columns um, or you mentioned Estella. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I just went there with Craig, my partner. Um because we, we actually got our apartment in New York and we went there to celebrate. Oh, fun. And, and I was trying to pick up on the vibe. Like I, I, I was trying to do my own vibe check uh -huh. uh, when I walked in because like, I couldn't quite tell what the crowd was. Like, who are these people eating at Estella now? Because like, we, we went there years ago when it first opened and it felt right. more like a, like a hidden gem or like a secret spot. And now it felt more like, you know, like a wealthier crowd perhaps or like a more, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not good at this. Right. But I, 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 but I I spoke to a wealth consultant, uh, the wealth consultant on the show Succession, because uh, I was wow. doing this piece about, um, you know, what are the most succession-y restaurants or where would the characters of Succession be going to eat mm -hmm. in New York? Um, and the wealth consultant was telling me, she was like, uh, like the kids of like Roman's generation would love Estella. She's like, huh. all the kids I know love that restaurant. <laughs> it's so funny because I felt out of place. And I also got caught in a rainstorm on my on my walk over there. So I was like uh -huh. drenched and I walked in and it was like these beautiful people all glistening and uh -huh. looking perfect. And I was like, okay, uh -huh. something is off here. Although um, I, 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 so I went to Estella, you know, recently, but I was like, this is a great restaurant. Yeah, it's the like food a, is amazing. The food is amazing. And I, I do, it is nice though. Like it is like, oh, you can like dress up proper mm -hmm. and like, have a beautiful evening you know totally well i'm curious it's like my it's like my idea of like a, what an opulent new york restaurant yes. would be i think yeah i'm curious because estella had a little scandal in the past and i don't remember exactly what happened but there was like a a director or somebody who was like mistreating the staff who got let go yes. and i read your piece about horses when you wrote about la and they had their own controversy recently where like the guy was killing cats, I guess. Um, allegedly. allegedly. Oh, no, I, I guess he did say he did it. So maybe that's yeah. where we can redact Hittons, the allegedly. I mean, it's pretty yeah. evil either way. Um, yeah. But I'm curious, in 2023, writing about restaurants, how much of a factor is it when you choose your restaurants or you're writing about restaurants? How much are you researching the good behavior, or the bad behavior of the chefs or the owners behind the restaurant? You know, I probably should do more, <laughs> or, maybe, or maybe not, or maybe maybe not. I mean, I don't know anymore. I, I, I when it, when that horses thing came out, I'm like, this is so insane. Like, if I started researching about like the domestic lives of people cooking the food at most of the restaurants we go to, we'd probably learn some really screwed up things about these people. Oh, totally. You know, but totally. I mean, killing cats is pretty bad. So that's I'll I'll totally. say like that made me not want to go to horses. But you I mean, know, I, I do don't think it's I do think that reporting is really important. You know, and I I I guess that's the thing I sort of see the function of the column as being a little different than necessarily doing that kind of like labor reporting essentially uh, mm -hmm. but I do think like doing labor reporting is really significant in terms of just understanding how all of these institutions and industries work and it's not even just uh restaurants right mm -hmm. it's like any good thing that you enjoy and consume in America 
is probably fucked in some ways. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, you in know? and out Burger here in L.A. just made it like what did they do? They banned masks like they basically said their workers are not allowed to wear masks. And it's sure. like that is so disturbing. I mean, that clearly feels like a political like stunt in a weird way. Right. And it's sort of like now how do I feel about going to In-N-Out Burger, which is, you know, decidedly some of the best fast food burgers in America. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Have you decided? Well, they always have like biblical verses on the bottoms of their um, cups. So it's okay. like, I don't know. I mean, I don't go to Chick-fil-A. I, w- I will say that. That was okay. like one where that, that was pretty easy for me because at Emory, where I went to college, Chick-fil-A was sort of like the campus, like in all the campus dining, there was Chick-fil-A that uh-huh. sat on steam tables, like turning uh-huh. soggy and gross. And so I always hated it. So that, that oh, was an okay. easy one. Oh, yeah. I love Chick-fil-A when I was uh, like in Florida, like growing up. I like, you know, those waffle fries. I was like, oh, yeah, these uh, are awesome. <laughs> the way you go there now, do you? ever go uh i have not been uh i don't i don't know if i i don't know i have i don't know yeah Yeah, i don't know if i have like a specific moral objection unless there's a concerted boycott at the moment that you can join Mm -hmm. if that makes sense otherwise it feels a little virtue signally to be like okay i'm not gonna i'm i i guess that's probably how i feel like i think if there's like a clear like movement behind something right. um, like an actual targeted boycott that makes total sense to me. Right. Um, if I don't know, I'm on a road trip with a friend and that's there. Would I, I don't know. I, I actually don't know. I, it's so I don't funny how we I like do. all bring our own stuff to it because like, I remember like when I first, when Chick-fil-A first opened in LA and I would drive past it, I would look at the people eating there. I'd be like, look at those homophobes eating chicken. <laughs> and now, and now it's like, who knows? I don't know. I, I, I know that, gay people who go there. Yeah. I guess that's what I mean. I, I just, oh, and, and it's not to say that like, uh, like these things don't need to change, but like every, literally everything that we consume under capitalism is morally compromised. It's true. Like that is just a fact. And it sort of depends on at what point has something crossed the line for you Mm -hmm. or is there sort of like a political moment that we can sort of rally around to to try to incur some sort of change Mm -hmm. around how something is happening or not and I guess that to me is like the important part like the sort of political will and pragmatism around it versus Mm -hmm. a sort of essentially like individual whim or desire to do or not do something and I totally support like if someone doesn't want to do something God bless. Like, right. you know, that's fine. I don't think that that will have any meaningful change in terms of is Chick-fil-A going to be bankrupt because you decided not to eat it. <laughs> so I, we're really talking a lot about Chick-fil-A in a way that I uh, <laughs> did not <laughs> anticipate. But no, yeah, no, it I, think... seems, I find it fascinating. You're uh-huh. saying something that I've never heard a gay person or a food person say which is right like, yeah i might get canceled for this yeah, yeah this is the clip i'm gonna pull to, to go viral so get ready Great. um so um i was gonna ask you you mentioned earlier that you cooked your lunch and cooking mm. was something we haven't talked about yet um but have you always been interested in cooking and if so where did you learn to cook and how often do you cook uh well this year i don't really cook very much like uh the situation is i cook you know, like a vat of soup. And then I will just kind of eat that for lunch before okay. I have to go out into the world or whatever. Or I'll like on a night off, I'll just roast a chicken or do something mm-hmm. like super simple. That's right? not that easy to um, roast a chicken. I mean, that takes some skill to make a good roast chicken. I guess, I guess you tie it 
you tie yeah. you dry it you tie it yeah. or you dry it you salt it you tie it and then you put uh-huh. it in the oven i don't know it's pretty easy to make. oh i mean i put butter all over mine oh oh i just do that thomas keller version of like yeah. it's just super dry and then you just stick it in the oven and it just kind of comes out perfect and i'm like yeah this is like wait mine's a thomas keller version but mine has butter all over it must be from a different book and you oh. put root vegetables underneath it and they all get caramelized and soaked in chicken fat. And it's truly the best thing that you'll sounds, ever eat in your life. That sounds great. I feel like yeah. the whatever version I'm doing, I think it is him, though, where it's yeah, just I like, think you're right. And he has another version that's simpler. It's just a chicken. It's very simple. <laughs> yeah. OK, so you cook yeah, yeah. a simple food. But did you cook um, growing up or did you start cooking when you got to New York? Or I did. I did cook when I was growing up. But it was weird because my mom didn't want to teach me how to cook, probably mm-hmm. because of some gendered reason uh and uh so i would then like i think i got into uh cooking like gay kids do you know Mm -hmm. and like i don't know making a souffle or like doing something like kind of like frou-frou and (laughs) fussy you know uh and so that that's i i would do that in high school you know so i remember like you know trying to make like a crab souffle or something like that wow uh, okay that's yeah it my... did rise it, it it was successful i do remember that it's um, funny that you say it's a, it was a gendered thing because i remember being a kid and begging for an easy bake oven and not getting uh-huh. one so i totally. think it was gender was totally a part of that. yeah totally um, yeah well it's also interesting this idea of mothering and cooking and nourishment and self-care because as you were talking about your soup, like I, I feel like my interest in cooking, which started like 20 years ago, was also during the period when I came out to my family and I felt a little bit estranged from them. And mm. so cooking was my way of sort of taking care of myself. Mm. Um, and I'm curious for you, when you talked about making that soup, is 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 that sense of self-care like sort of a version of self-mothering for yourself or like a self, you know, is that sort of how you take care of yourself in general? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think food is like very deeply about care. Um, Mm -hmm. Like we literally all have to do it and it determines how we feel about ourselves. You know, like you eat badly or you eat too much salt the next morning or if you, you know, have too much sodium, then you'll be like kind of bloated the next day. Right. It it literally is about our physical well-being Mm -hmm. in a very deep way. So, yeah, 100 percent like it is about, you know, I, I need to eat. I, I, you know, I'm not young. So then I feel like horrible after some of these meals, you know, where mm-hmm. I'm just like, I wake up and I feel nauseous and, yes. uh, you know, it's really awful. Like, I, It's a weird thing to complain about, but it's like very much a reality of like doing this. What uh, also speaks to the like growing irrelevance of that kind of fine dining where mm-hmm. you're eating such rich food in such succession where, you know, I thought it was interesting that Pete Wells um, gave three stars to Superiority Burger because mm-hmm. uh, Craig and I just went there when we were in New York. And when I got there, I, I, we had the food. I was like, you know what? Like, I totally get it because I feel good right now. Mm. Um, and I ate I ate something really delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I don't feel disgusting or mm-hmm. overly bloated or, you know, because mm-hmm. I had broccoli and I had, you know, there was like nourishing things on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but you go to somewhere you know, like, I'm sure like Danielle or, um, you know, John, Dr- I mean, I don't even know if those are relevant anywhere, but like, mm-hmm. I guess 11 Madison Park or any of those places. And it's like that, that's like an onslaught on your body mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. butter and fat. And, you know, and so the fact that you're doing that over and over again, must yeah. be a real like le- lesson in like, how food can harm you as much as it can heal you. Totally, totally. Yeah. And like, you know, like, those are 
in in some ways like I'm eating like celebration meals every day yes. right you know? like I'm eating like it's like my birthday anniversary and graduation all rolled up into one week and I'm just sort mm -hmm. of like doing that constantly and that's like not how people should be eating but I do think right. it would be really interesting and important for restaurants to be doing really good nourishing food mm -hmm. um that is not really a thing in new york i feel like i yeah. i've been sort of thinking about like noodling around an idea about that but i i feel like post there was like a macrobiotic movement obviously that happened in new york but like there, there doesn't really feel like there's the same kind of like um those institutions anymore at, at the same way that there were like maybe like 10 20 years ago you know well it's funny coming from LA back to New York it's uh -huh. that, that's sort of my fear in a weird uh -huh. way is like here it's easy to get a salad for lunch here it's easy to right. you know find like a, a nourishing healthy dinner and like in New York I feel like I'll be so tempted to go out you know for Szechuan food and all kinds of just things like every day you know like go to Katz's go to I mean bagels in New York or just I mean even though LA I will acknowledge has some of the best bagels I've ever had now at Courage Bagels I mean oh, just cool. the, the the um availability of bagels in New York that you just literally walk out your door and could have a bagel and cream cheese just anywhere is I'm, I feel like I'm gonna I'm either gonna gain a lot of weight or I'm gonna lose weight from all the walking so that might or maybe help. it'll just be a net <laughs> neutral <laughs> yeah maybe so how much more time do you have at, at this job doing um the year well, in New York it's it's the year so it is the calendar year so I will be done uh by the end of the year by just end of December yep and I and, am, I am looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what? I mean, I'm like, having a great time, but I, yeah. I am also. I think the body break is. Uh, I yes. need to step away. Yeah. Will you um, continue? You think writing about food or making food a subject for yourself? Definitely, I would love to do that. Like, I think in some ways this is like a really, um, like, incredible foray and just mm -hmm. like ability to be able to take in a lot of things uh literally right and then also just understand what's going on learn more uh and then like sort of set myself up in a way where you know i could just uh write a piece or two um when it seems relevant you know mm -hmm. in the future as opposed to kind of like this pace of eating how much how often do you have to file at this current job like is it once a week uh, no it's uh, every two weeks every two yeah. weeks okay yeah yeah so I was going to ask it from the anthropological point of view, in terms mm. of the overview of New York in 2023 and dining in New York, like, what are you, what are the overall trends? And like, what are you really seeing right now in New York City in the restaurant scene that is revealing something larger about the state of New York? And perhaps this is a very huge question, but the country in general. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's a lot of like recycled IP, essentially. Mm. Um, it's like, you know, people are closing restaurants and then opening whatever like fancy version of a pizza place or comfort food that they want to do. Um, you know, like, uh, uh, and then like every new restaurant also just feels like a old restaurant, <laughs> you okay. know, like for the, you know, we can pick and pick and choose the ones that aren't. And I think they really stand out for not being that, but I think, you know, for the, for the most part, a lot of restaurants are just like, well, here's more pasta you know here's <laughs> like a large format meat dish here's um you know uh like cold fish uh like 
with like a little yuzu on top. Do you know what I mean? Like it all yeah. just kind of feels like very same, same in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. Um, and I think, again, there are, are very clear exceptions to that. So it's not like a prevailing truth, but I do think that that's the general trend. And I think that's also the general trend in culture, right? Like mm -hmm. by big investors in Hollywood, I think uh, it's a similar kind of through line, right? Where people mm -hmm. don't want to take bets on something that seems risky or too forward or too progressive, um, either palette wise or whatever, right? So they're they're kind of going to the to the greatest hits in some ways, um, yeah. you know, and Eats sometimes that's pasta. fun. Yeah, right, I mean, right. Like, like even, is fun. Yeah, I mean, in LA, I mean, you, you just wrote about some LA restaurants and you were writing about like Mother Wolf and um, the other guys, wow. the guys at their place, Funky and like- yeah, Funky. Um, I feel like that's emblematic of that trend here. I mean, it's just that like sort of pasta, like $30 pastas and, you know, rich, you know, that's, and it almost looks like the Cheesecake Factory there. It's just like, totally. Yeah. They're turning you it's in. Turning very you out. suburban. Yeah. Suburban. <laughs> but, you know, it's like sort of, it's all familiar mostly with some little tweaks, but it's a bunch of carbs, a bunch. So I'm curious, like in your journey, and I think you probably wrote about this, but for those who haven't read it yet, like what are the places that have stood out as more singular and unique and doing something that's not part of the larger trend? Um, I mean, I really love like Aval in uh, it's a Persian restaurant in Bushwick. Uh, okay. The chef worked at Sofre um, and is doing like a, I think, younger, cooler version of his, like his take on Persian food. And I think okay. it's phenomenal. It's like delicious. Uh, the breads are amazing. The dips are great. It's like has a real idea of like sourness as part of a round palette in a way that I like really lights your tongue up in a way uh -huh. that's really fun. Um, I, and I, and I like a lot of the Korean restaurants right now, like, um, and maybe because I'm Korean, but also because I think that that's sort of where the, um, most interesting like genre of cooking is. Um, uh, and I like Ari Ari, like it's like a Busan style, like Southern seafood, um, wow. restaurant in the East Village that I think is great. Uh, and of the sort of like fleet of tasting menus that I've had, I really liked Naro, um, which is in, you know, the Rockefeller Center. Um, oh, right. That's the Korean place that opened up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The How food is really good. And the tasting menu, I think price wise, you're going to get like the best bang for your buck, you know. What's the the restaurant that it's Ad Adamix? Is that the name? Oh of yeah, Adamix. Yeah, yeah. It's by yeah. the Adamix people. Um, have you gone there yet? Because that's one that I know it's so hard to get into, and I I'm have. dying to go there. Is it? Was I it have. Great? Yeah, it's good. Oh, interesting. So you didn't like it as much as I mean, isn't it one of the top restaurants in the world? It is. According? Yeah. So my opinion shouldn't matter at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me. Well, I'm curious why. Why were you? Why are you so blasé about it? Uh, I think I I think I struggle with what I perceive as like overly fussy food. I think I'm not as uh, satisfied by it on an emotional level. Um, okay. Yeah, I think it's very precious, very tweezer food. Mm -hmm. um, and that if that's cool with some people, great, you know, but that is to me like not, I don't know. Do you, do you ever go to a tasting menu and you're like, it's like very fancy and you're having like so many small bites and you're kind of full at the end, mm -hmm. but like, but like just emotionally unsatisfied. Yeah. That, that is totally. often how I feel at places like that. And so afterwards, sometimes I will like just go to like 
whatever like I remember I like after tasting menu I like went to prosperity dumpling afterwards and my friend and I just like got like a dollar That's wild I mean I mean, always hear that yeah and just you like hear people ate. get pizza but did you see the menu the movie the menu I did I did I did well that was like that moment where she's like I'm I don't feel satisfied right Is that right what she says yeah. sure 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 so maybe I am just Anya Taylor Joy in the menu <laughs> <laughs> did you like the menu uh it's fine it's very <laughs> glib I thought right yeah. did you watch the bear uh I am I am I'm I haven't yet I'm sort of I haven't watched the second season yet so I I, I cannot give an opinion really. we just finished the yeah. second season and I was a little cagey I was like I'm not sure I like this but then like halfway through Jamie Lee Curtis showed up and mm. blew, blew the lid off the place and I was like okay I'm into this now but in terms okay, cool. of that kind of tweezery fine dining I mean I brought I brought up both those movies because you sort of are seeing two different perspectives on that kind of food because um in the menu it's sort of a critical look at like the ridiculousness of it and um, the bear is sort of i don't know if i would say it's a celebration but it's an examination i guess of what goes into that kind of perfectionism but but when sure. i had Je jeff gordon here on the podcast he was like he felt like the menu marked the end of an era in a way that like that mm. kind of fine dining is sort of done um, and he, I think what the undercurrent of that too had to do with Noma mm. um, and mm -hmm. sort of the labor issues that are going on there, that like the, the revelations that people are working there without getting paid mm -hmm. uh, to make this kind of food. And so that the, the re realization that to eat this exquisite, you know, 30 hour dish costs a lot of time and energy from people who are not being compensated well. So, right. you know, there's that right. element of it too. Totally, totally. I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah. For sure. <laughs> so do you have um, like a budget with your job? Like, can you go anywhere and eat anything? I, you know, I don't, it's not clear to me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? But don't you, you get reimbursed for the meals, right? I do. I do get reimbursed. Uh, and it is, it is not a hundred percent clear to me. Uh, I feel like I have general guidelines okay. that I abide to. Um, so, you know, we're not like getting rounds and rounds of, drinks you know or like getting some like stupid expensive bottle of wine you know because right. that's really where the cost will be um but you know i i do feel like it, it is important to like try the food and mm -hmm. so you know if there's like a dumb 98 dollar pasta on the menu then we can get it you know um, what's because... the most expensive thing that you've ordered do you remember like a supplemental like 250 dollar like wagyu caviar burger or something God, I don't even I like the thing that that is like sticking out in my mind right now is the $98 lobster pasta at Bad Roman. Um, but I I'm sure there was something else that was like more ridiculous. Uh, How, and what was the deal with the $98 pasta? I'm trying to remember what you wrote about it. It's like a it's fine. It was like <laughs> the bet it was the better of all the pastas that we had. Um, okay. Which were frankly like uniformly terrible, I thought. Uh, wow. uh but that one was um better it had some flavor i was uh, gonna invite you over to my new kitchen to make you pasta but now i'm nervous <laughs> oh no please do <laughs> i love a home-cooked meal <laughs> uh, okay so as long as you don't eviscerate me in new york magazine i'll be okay uh well alex this is um uh, flown by every um podcast begins with what did you have for lunch but it ends with what will you be having for dinner tonight oh i am going to a dinner unsurprisingly uh it's with uh gr it's hosted by this group called welcome to chinatown okay uh, which is this nonprofit that um uh, is trying to sort of like uh keep money in chinatown and revitalize 
the neighborhood uh, in various ways um, in this sort of like post lockdown, uh, still pandemic moment. Um, yeah, and it's uh, Grace Young, the cookbook author. Oh yeah, I know Grace. There. I was just thinking oh. of her because I follow her and I cooked with her for the cookbook that I did. And I know that she's she's campaigning because wasn't there supposed to be like a prison that is opening there? Yes, yes. So which I, I wrote about that. I wrote about okay. like the I did a piece on the prison that's currently being demolished and built in the area. And I okay. talked to a business owner um, who lost his business because of the impending jail. And we sort of like walked around Chinatown and uh discuss what was happening and okay. um the, the changing around. landscape yeah like you know the food column is you know i i know that people read the you know the the takedown of you know a posh <laughs> restaurant or whatever but like it is important to me to write about like these other ways of thinking about food like mm -hmm. the the chinatown jail one the super jail one was important to me because it was about restaurants too but it's mm -hmm. not you know like about whether i don't know holiday bar is cool or not you know <laughs> right, which is right. fun like i think those pieces are also fun but i think it's important to remember the like real estate power nexus that all restaurants occupy so this dinner you're going to is is it a fundraiser or it's just sort of a awareness raising i think it's like an awareness raising conversation yeah and so do you I'm know excited. you'll be eating like where, 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 like where it's going to be hosted and what kind of food you're going to have I did not look at that yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got a lot going on. You'll, you're just show up and you'll you'll be hungry for it, hopefully. Hopefully, um, yeah. You'll have some yeah. room for it. Right. Uh, well, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. I hope this wasn't of too course. painful a therapy session. No. And, um, and I hope I did I a good job fun. with my interviewing skills. I mean, yeah. you know, it took some, took some practice. Uh, all right, well, I'll <laughs> see you in New York. I'll be there in a couple of weeks. So have a good rest of your day. Great. Thank right. you. Bye. Bye. That's it for today's episode. If you'd like to follow along with all of my adventures over the next couple of weeks where I'll be traveling to Provincetown and moving to New York, give me a follow at Amateur Gourmet on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, and follow my newsletter or subscribe to it, amateurgourmet.substack.com. All right, I'll see you back here next week. Take care and don't forget to eat lunch.